Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate, Gransom. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. We keep hearing about lots of bad stuff getting into our rivers and streams. How true is it? What's being done about it? And what can farmers do to help? Supporting farmers and making those changes on farm is working out where they can make small improvements over time, where they have the opportunity to make larger investments. And there's something rather exciting coming up for the kids at Lincolnshire Showground. It'll be a fabulous, fun-filled day, action-packed with eight different zones for children to get hands-on, to explore, to discover, just to learn in a fun way all about doing farming. Plus, we'll have our regular cropper market reports and prices, important and timely agronomy advice, and the weather for the week to come. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. First, a quick reminder that after today, the farming programme won't be on 102.2 FM in Lincolnshire, but will still be on DAB radio, and the podcast is unchanged. So if you listen to us on podcast, the Free Links FM app, or by asking your smart speaker to play the farming programme, there's no change. Just if you listen on FM radio, you'll need to make the switch to digital. There's advice and guidance on linksfm.co.uk and on our Facebook page. Click on the box, How to Listen. There's a great opportunity for us to help the next generation understand where their food comes from, that journey from farm to fork, in a couple of weeks at the Lincolnshire Showground. Countryside Links is back, and to tell us all about it, Lincolnshire Agricultural Society's Rosie Crust. Yes, yeah, so on Sunday the 16th of April, we've got our Countryside Links event, which is a family favourite um, event at the showground for families to experience a flavour of food, farming, the countryside and the environment and it'll be a fabulous, fun-filled day, action-packed with eight different zones for children to get hands-on, to explore, to discover, and just to learn in a fun way all about food and farming. And this is giving them an idea of the journey from, as we always say, farm to fork, but also talking about what goes on in Lincolnshire food-wise. Absolutely. So in the food zone, we've got Coehill cheese where the children can make soft cheese. We've got a lady making fudge. In the farmyard zone and in the tractor zone, they get to meet actual farmers um, and then obviously go to the food zone and learn about the food. So it's a whole journey from beginning to end. And plenty of entertainment. Lots of entertainment. So we've got the Countryside Wing, the BMX show, who are always a big feature every year and highlight. We've got the Lincolnshire United Retriever Club, Bassett Towns. And as you would expect, when there's plenty of food around, there's plenty of food around. There is plenty of food <laughs> around, so um, you're more than welcome to come to the showground with a picnic. Then we also have lots of different catering options available on site. We've got the indoor food market, so plenty of opportunities to, to buy food. What if the weather's not so good? The event is both inside and outside, and so you know we promote that, but also... Um, you know, bring your wellies, get dressed or, you know, put your clothes on for um, outdoor weather. And in the past, you know, little children have loved jumping in the puddles. So what we have got is indoor and outdoors. And we've got some animals on site as well. Yeah, there's animals. So we've got the farmyard zone where we have got from little rabbits, guinea pigs, there's bottle feeding lambs to cows to donkeys to goats. We've got Nunny's Farm, Man Farm Park, the Rare Breed Survival Trust, Joe's Garden Patch. And yeah, lots lots more in there. So it's a really lovely opportunity to say hello and meet lots of our farmyard favourite friends. And you mentioned that the kids have got the opportunity to make soft cheese and things like that. But is there a cookery aspect as well? Yes, we've also got a cookery workshop. And this year we've got Sandy Doherty, who was a contestant on the Great British Bake Off. She's coming to make a rocky road with the children. Then we've got ladies and pigs making bacon biscuits. 
and then also Oats and Co doing some flapjacks. That's in the Exo Centre for children. That is bookable on the day. So head over to the Exo Centre, book your slot, and then enjoy making lovely, tasty creations with the experts. Excellent. Can't wait. I should be there, definitely. So just remind us when, where, and where do we go for more information, Rosie? Yes, so Countryside Links is at the Lincolnshire Showground on Sunday, the 16th of April. It's from 10 till 4. And to find more information, buy your tickets if you head over to the Lincolnshire Showground website, which is lincolnshireshowground.co.uk. Lovely. Thank you, Rosie. Thank you. Countryside Links back again, eh? Hardly seems five minutes since the last one, but it has been a year. How are our crops looking this week? Time to join our crop doctor, Sean Sparling, on a walk through the fields. Morning, Sean. Yes, morning, Steve. Yeah, it's a great day out, um, Countryside Links, for the, just for the opportunity to get up close to farm animals in a safe, managed environment. I think that alone is worth going along for. It's just a lovely day out, whether you're an adult or a child, and who knows, you might learn something that you didn't know before you went. And if we could all learn one thing a day, I think the world would be a much safer place so a couple of weeks before that happens of course but you know book early to avoid disappointment anyway march many weather strikes again came in like a lamb we should have expected it to go out like a lion shouldn't we it went out like a sea lion though as it turned out wet old do this last month i registered rain on 24 out of the 31 day and this last week summed up March, really. Lovely day on Sunday, then frosty into a beautiful sunny but very cold day on Monday. Temperatures down from the mid-teens last week to seven or eight at best. And then rain, rain and more rain. I finished up with a little over 80 millimetres, closer to 100 and beyond 100 millimetres of rain in the villages around Lincoln. So a wet month that, to be quite honest, we needed. Remember that January and February gave us less than 40 mil in total. And this three or four inches from March is going to do what February Fildite usually did by filling the aquifers and moistening up these seedbeds. Now, it still looks a bit unsettled for the next week or so through the early part of April. So I think it's very unlikely we're going to see any of the heavy land sugar beet or even any of the heavy land anything else drilled for a couple of weeks yet. I did get my first sugar beet drilled, by the way, on the 25th last Saturday in some boys' land around Wellingor. Very little else gone in because of the weather, though. But things like spring barley, spring wheat, spring oats, peas, beans, etc. And the rest of the sugar beet, of course, they're going to have to wait their turn too now. As always, you know, it's the wrong weather, of course. The number of years I hear growers complaining about a dry March who then moan even harder about the wet April that follows it. Well, hopefully we've now had the wet March behind us. We can get on with the business of farming in a warmer, kinder conditions that April should bring us. To be honest, you could count the years when the weather is appreciated for being wet or dry at the right time on the fingers of one foot. But we get what we get. That was very welcome for what it was, I think. I, for one, I'm always grateful for a little drop of rain, particularly when it comes in March, when it doesn't really do that much harm other than stop sugar beet getting put in too early or stopping the badlands from having their spring barley or spring beans mauled in because it is what it is, isn't it? So the net result of a wet week then with one dry day is that very little spraying was possible unless you managed to get out on Sunday morning or Monday while the wind was down and before that rain came again at the end of Monday. An awful lot of wheat then still has to get its T0 and to be fair the T0 isn't particularly important in the big scheme of fungicide thing. It's good for drying out a bit of rust and correcting nutrient deficiencies but that's about it. And because so much of a wheat area today is made up of varieties like 
like Saki, Dorsum, Champion, Cranium, Extase, varieties which are pretty good on disease all round. We're not seeing fields glowing yellow with rampant yellow rust like we did in the days of Brigadier or Solstice, but we are seeing a bit of yellow rust out there. There's a bit in Incital, Graham, Skyfall, Skyscraper, but if the weather is to stop a T0 going on for another couple of weeks yet and Leaf 3 begins to emerge in, say, three weeks' time, then you know, in the forward bits, that's quite conceivable, then speak to your advisor about whether you actually need to put that T0 on at all. And if you're not going to put it on, when are you going to scrap it? What is an absolute given, as in every other year, is that you should never delay the T1 fungicide that will happen in three weeks' time or so, just because it's only just a week or so since you put your T0 on, if if you get to that point. T1 is always crucial. It is this year, it will be every other year. There's lots of septoria out there. It's the time you manage septoria most effectively very frothy wheats as well out there in places so timing both fungicide and choice of fungicide and pgr is probably going to be more important than usual this spring also worth noting that with well over 80 mil of rain in the last three weeks and with soil temperatures all over the place spring barleys and spring wheats are a bit all over the place as well in terms of emergence and anything of spring barley spring wheat that was drilled at the end of february and then given a slug of nitrogen at the time may well not have much of that nitrogen where it's required around the root zone because with 80 millimetres plus of rain, it'll have leached down through the profile and away from the roots, particularly on the sandy, the gravelly or the shallower soils. And it's very noticeable as well as you drive around how pale these spring barleys in particular are across the county. Some of that clearly is DFF uptake from the pre-emergent that they picked up as they emerge, helpfully with the, the result of a lot of this rain, but that one whitening effect that you see on the leaf on these emerging barleys which it's going to grow out of without any penalty by the way so don't worry about that so there's an element of herbicide uptake there's also the frost effect with bands of discoloration and tipping down the length of the leaf it'll grow out of that that won't hurt it either but there's also the effects of wet feet because of all that rain and therefore a degree of nitrogen deficiency which varies by soil type and location all we need is a few warm sunny days a top up of nitrogen and these barleys and spring wheats are going to romp away fingers crossed anyway now if you're lucky enough to still have any all seed rape left out there the cabbage stem flea beetle or the rape winter stem weevil or both have managed to leave it alone then yellow bud is widespread now pollen beetle timing of course from green through to yellow bud i haven't seen any pollen beetle yet but that could change quite quickly but as we'd learned over the last 10 years or so the threshold is there for a reason the crop's going to stand an awful lot of beetle with little or no adverse effects to the crop or the final yield all seed rate produces about 60 percent more buds than ever turn into pods and for another thing over 80 percent of the insect life that sits in an all seed rape canopy at this time of year will be a beneficial so because insecticides aren't that reliable because of the pollen beetle resistance issues you have to be in serious trouble to go spraying for them use the kinder to the beneficial materials if you do have to go out there speak to your advisor about that but to be honest even with over 100 pollen beetle per plant last year at green bud we didn't spray those and the yield seemed to stay the same pretty much as the other fields which struggled to have five pollen beetle per plant what i'm saying is they always look a lot worse than they are but keep in touch with your advisor the threshold then from green bud to yellow bud if you have fewer than 30 plants a square meter it's 25 pollen beetle per plant 30 to 50 plants a square meter 18 pollen beetle per plant 50 to 70 11 pollen beetle 
beetle and more than 70 plants a square metre, then it drops down to nine per plant. And that's per plant across the field, not just the yellow plant that sits in the gateway. And remember, this is very, very important. Once the flowers appear on the oilseed rape, the pollen beetle become pollinators, so they become beneficial. Never spray for pollen beetle or put an insecticide on once these crops start to flower. And plenty of these crops are getting there now. So the last dose of nitrogen then, you want to get that on oilseed rape while you can still travel through the crop and your spread pattern isn't interrupted by the rape being too big. It's way too early to put your main dose of nitrogen on winter wheat and it's an ill wind that blows from my Wellington boot. So April showers beckon, soon be mate. Let's see what the next seven days bring. Thank you, Sean. Water, water everywhere. But how good is it? And what can we do on farm to improve and maintain the quality of our water? That plus market reports and prices and the weather for the week to come in a moment. Plus, if you're listening on FM radio, details of how to continue listening to the farming programme after Lynx FM goes digital from tomorrow. It's really easy. Details on the way. The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. Entries are open for the British Farming Awards, powered by the Farmers Guardian and supported by AgriConnect, Lama, and many other brands. There's 17 categories this year, including student, agritech innovator, contractor, farm worker of the year, and the new entrant Against the Odds Award. It's the 11th year of the awards and another chance to recognise the excellence that exists in British farming. Entries close in June, the winners announced in October, and there's all you need to know online at BritishFarmingAwards.co.uk. Water. Let's face it, like soil, it's the lifeblood of our industry. We keep hearing about the bad state of our rivers and streams. How true is it? What's been done about it? And what can farmers do to help? Welcome the NFU's Environment Advisor, Alistair Heinrich. Good morning, Alistair. Good morning. We see huge amounts of comment at the moment about pollution, sewage going into watercourses, water companies being blamed, farmers being blamed, manufacturers being blamed. What's the real story? How is our water generally? Well, we're working to make improvements uh, across the industry. It's it's a real focus at the moment for a lot of farmers. Uh, there is increasing pressure from or regulatory enforcement. There's increasing pressure from the media uh, and looking towards basically how we can make those improvements over time. I mean, if you look at the, the water industry itself, I think it's 56 uh, million that's been invested uh, into their infrastructure changes and developments to improve their water quality. Uh, but farmers obviously operating on a individual scale as an individual business their ability to make those make uh, such investments is more limited so actually supporting farmers in making those changes on farm is working out where they can make small improvements over time where they have the opportunity to make larger investments that's uh, it's really good news but it's uh, it's about making changes as, as they need to Okay, now you've uh, put together five bits of advice for farmers in terms of protecting, improving our water quality. Uh, first of all, monitoring. How do you monitor the quality of your water? So there's a number of ways you can do it, really. You can, if you have a water course flowing through the farm, uh, you can test where the water enters the farm and also test where it leaves the farm. You can look at basically testing uh, where you have drainage ditches uh, or you basically have uh, drains running out of, uh, from underneath the, under the ground. So you're looking to establish across those different uh, sources of water what the sort of the nutrient content of that water is and what the makeup of it is. You can look at the, 
a general overview in terms of look at the quality of the water if there's any sediments in there by the, the how clear the water is once you're testing it you basically send that uh, send that water test away uh, and you get the result back basically telling you what what's in there and from that you can start to understand uh, where you might want to make improvement uh, where you might sort of think how you can change activities or make adjustments on farm once you've monitored uh, you've, you've tested your soil then your next bit of advice is planning uh, what do you mean by that so planning your application of nutrients is a vital tool that a lot of farmers are already using. Essentially, they, they look to understand uh, over the course of their crop rotation uh, and their activities what they're putting on the soil. So when they look at that, uh, they're looking to understand what they need to apply, uh, what basically is the, the correct amount. Uh, if they can make reductions where they can, they do. Um, and basically, it's understanding over the course of your uh, crop rotation, which could be several years, where you can make the most improvement. So I guess like all these things, there's got to be a balance or a trade-off between what the crop needs and what the water course doesn't need. There's a number of factors that play into that, really. Uh, looking at what's already in the soil in terms of nutrient availability uh, and basically adjusting your application rate but also looking at uh, the soil health and quality as well, looking at the organic matter within the soil, uh, the ability for water to diffuse through the soil as well, and basically looking at how those nutrients move within that. Also looking at providing a structure within the soil to prevent uh, potential erosion, which can also lead to uh, runoff as well. So it's basically managing the overall picture of soil health uh, as part of that plan, where you can look to balance the requirement for crop need and water quality. And that leads us in nicely to protect the next item on your five bits of advice. In terms of actions that can be uh, put in place, that can be seen. Uh, buffer strips next to watercourses and using uh, cover crops and also put, uh, basically fencing off uh, watercourses around watercourses or ponds. So looking at essentially how they can uh, prevent the nutrients from reaching there. Things like avoiding bare soils, uh, using minim uh, minimum tillage, uh, adding organic matter to the soil itself varying rotations and looking at basically how you can add a variety of different crop types of different root structures into the soil over the over the course of rotations um, utilizing livestock within the rotation as well uh, adding organic matter back through uh, grazing of cattle and sheep and then also again using cover crops uh, those are all tools that can be used by farmers to basically keep those nutrients in the field where they'll be they can be utilized and taken by the crop and finally capturing are we talking there about capturing the likes of rainwater Exactly that. So by capturing it, you can use it for a variety of uh, other opportunities. And the way that farmers can do this, they can capture it from uh, roofs or hard standings and divert it away from areas that basically have either vehicle traffic or livestock traffic moving through there to prevent the production of uh, fouled water. I gather there is some funding to help with improving and protecting and maintaining water quality. So capturing rainwater, uh, items for that uh, available on gov.uk under the Countryside Stewardship uh, Grant. That includes items uh, that basically help farmers to uh, reduce or protect water, capture it, divert it, uh, and basically prevent the creation of uh, fouled water. Okay, and your five areas of advice, we've, we've, talk, we've got a lot of information in the last few minutes from you. Uh, we can find those on the NFU website, is that right? Yep, it's all available and if you're online. Uh, we've actually just released uh, what we're calling the Water Quality Hub, uh, which is available on NFU Online as well. And essentially, we're putting together a range of resources that can help farmers identifying uh, where there are opportunities uh, through looking at case studies, what other farmers are doing, looking at best practice, and also providing uh, clear information around regulation and what they need to know. 
Alistair, that's been very, very interesting. We're going to talk with Kelly Hewson Fisher uh, next week on the farming programme about some of the other aspects of uh, water control and water quality. But for now, Alistair Heinrich from the NFU, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. More on the subject with the NFU's National Water Resources Specialist, Kelly Hewson Fisher, on next week's farming programme. Links FM Farming Market Reports. Starting with livestock at Louth Livestock Markets auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Good morning, Oliver. Morning, Steve. Another weekly roundup from here at Louth for the last Monday of March, starting with the prime cattle with steers selling to 271 pence per kilo or £1,623 for JC Scully of Bournemouth, while the heifers top at 288 pence per kilo for John Thurlby of Kexby or £1,684 for Beaver Agriculture of Woodlespa. That wraps cattle up onto the sheep. Similar number of hogs about and a similar trade with an SQQ of 249.88 pence per kilo and an all-in average of 241.04 pence per kilo. Top goes to AJ Colson and Sons of Osgoby at £140.50, while NF and F Stones top at 292 pence per kilo. On to the cool ewes. Uh, double the number on offer and a very similar trade leaves an all-in average of £114.69 proving last worth as the ewe market of the east to top for manor farming at £172 per head. Finally, just a handful of store hogs see an all-in average of £63.20 to top for our jeans at £74 per head. Huge thank you to everyone that's been in supported this week. Please remember that tomorrow, Monday the 3rd of April, there are no store cattle. Our store cattle sale this week is on Friday the 7th of April, starting at 12 o'clock with our first spring special show and sale of store cattle with 250 catalogued already. We look forward to seeing you all on Friday at 12 o'clock. Please also don't forget that on Wednesday the 12th of April, we've got the complete farm dispersal of machinery and equipment on behalf of Messrs Motley at Covenham St Mary with the catalogues available online. So for all details, please do not hesitate to contact me, whether it's for the marketing of machinery or livestock. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market, and thank you. Thanks, Oliver. And with a look at the grain markets, Openfield's Alice Killam. Morning, Alice. Good morning, Steve. Following the last few somewhat brutal reports, I'm pleased to say that this one isn't so harsh on the ears. Important day on Friday, with Thursday seeing a risk-off-the-table tactics being employed, which has taken the shine off what, up to this point, has actually been a reasonable week. There are two important reports coming out of the US on Friday mid-afternoon. These will give us A, a quarterly stock report, and B, a prospective planting report for next season, both of which have the ability to surprise, hence why we have seen lower numbers across the board on Thursday. Ticking along behind all of this news will be the funds. They will no doubt accentuate any move, whether that be up or down. The reason for our turnaround at the start of the week stemmed from news out of Russia. There was talk of the consideration of halting wheat and sunflower exports. None of this has actually been confirmed. There has also been reports of tactical nuclear weapons being moved into Belarus. Again, this has been denied, but it does remind us that the war is still very much taking place and also to those who are trading a huge short position in the US wheat market, that the cheapest wheat in the world perhaps doesn't want to get any cheaper. Fresh news out this week from Reuters, with Cargill and Viterra to stop exports from Russia. Do bear in mind that Cargill only account for a total of circa 4% of exports this year, but with 25% of the global wheat coming from Russia in 2022, this could indeed be a story to watch. Elsewhere around the world, there have been some timely reminders about the state of crops in the ground, with the US showing below average temperatures and snow cover still an issue in the northern plains. The saviour of the world six months ago, India, have also now dropped their crop forecast again. We'll get a full set of results beginning on the 3rd of April. 
It has been a welcome relief to see a break in the downward pattern and I sincerely hope this small move up pushes us higher still in the coming days and weeks. We have time on new crop and the world seems to be pencilling a huge crop with no difficulties whatsoever. We are not quite so fortunate with the old crop, with just four months of the season to go and a lot of wheat to move out of the UK, even if we are price competitive. It may be considered sensible to keep moving along with old crop sales if you still have a fair amount to market. Of course, war can escalate quickly and budgets can quickly change, but not everyone will want to move their remaining tonnages in June and July, or indeed carry it into new crop. Milling wheat premiums are remaining strong with continued domestic demand. We are still seeing premiums of circa £65 per tonne. The even more volatile rapeseed market has also seen a bounce since last Thursday, following the quite frankly depressing €100 Euro loss over 13 trading days the previous week. With a weak pound and domestic prices following Matif higher on the back of growing biodiesel demand, we saw a 50% recovery in just three days. Like the wheat market, it did take a hit too on Thursday. At present, we know that the EU seems to have ample stocks of Australian and Canadian canola. Guide prices for this week, circa Friday morning. Feed wheat, focusing mainly on demand May onwards now, but please call for spot offers. May, 195 to 200. June, 200 to 205. September, 205 to 210. November, 210 to 215. As I say, milling wheat premiums are still holding at around £65, depending on your location. Feed barley, May, 170 to 175. July, 175 to 180. September 180 to 185 and finally all seed rate for this week is circa 390 but this is changing daily so please call for firm values have a great week thanks alice the farming program five day forecast looks like being a much drier week high pressure keeping things calmer but cooler just a light breeze from the northeast today plenty of sunshine and highs of nine celsius down to just one overnight into a calm monday much the same temperatures and mostly dry a cold night again with lows of freezing point into the middle of the week where it stays calm dry and a little warmer with daytime highs of 10 to 12 celsius and much the same for the back end of the week with a bit more cloud and the chance of some light rain if you've got a few minutes on your hands and want to find out a bit more about the farming programme, I had a visit from Lincolnshire farmer and regular on the programme, Andrew Ward, a few days ago when he turned the tables, turned the camera on and interviewed me for a change. You can see that and much more on YouTube. Search for Wardy's Waffle 123. Next week, more on water and we'll talk field fires, plus, of course, the week in agriculture on the farming programme, which, let me remind you yet again, won't be on 102.2 FM, but will still be on DAB Radio in Lincolnshire, and the online and podcast version is unchanged. So if you listen to us on podcast, the Free Links FM app, or by asking your smart speaker to play the farming programme, there's no change. Just if you listen on FM radio, you'll need to make the switch to digital. And there's advice and guidance on linksfm.co.uk and our Facebook page. Click on the box, How to Listen. I'm Steve Orchard. Until next week's farming programme, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.